0: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to announce to you Nick Mullis is in the house. As he preaches, please refrain from scowls, give him lots of smiles and affirmative words. You go man, you go. There's nothing like getting thrown under the bus (laughs) before you even make it to the platform. So thank you, Tim. (laughs) I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, Sean has been apologizing profusely to me for the last week going, I can't believe I stuck you with this sermon. I'm so sorry. Uh, And I said, it's okay, man. It's just this runs with my blood. This is part of who I am. Uh, Just so you know, I do not work for Coke. I just really like the shirt. Uh, my brother found it in a goodwill and it was too big for him, so he gave it to me and I smiled. Before I say anything that has anything to do with anything, did you follow that? The most responsive church that I have ever been, ever spoken to, looked a little different than this one. Uh. Everybody had really good tans. We'll we'll go that way. And it is the only time I have ever been physically touched while I was preaching. There were nine other pastors on the platform with me. If I'd had Taco Bell for dinner, the one behind me would have known before I did. I mean, they were that close. And they would reach up and touch me while I was preaching. Like, come on now, come on. Oh, this is not how Methodists do it. So I come from a a different world. Uh, Let's pray. This isn't extemporaneous, just so you know, but I'll explain what it is a little later. Let's pray. Our maker and upholder of all things, day and night are yours. They are also mine from you. The night to rid me of the cares of the day, to refresh my weary body, to renew my natural strength, the day to summon me to new activities, to give me opportunity to glorify you, to serve my generation, to acquire knowledge, holiness, and eternal life. But one day above all days is made especially for your honor and my improvement. The Sabbath reminds me of your rest from creation, of the resurrection of my savior, of his entering into repose. Your house is mine, but I am unworthy to meet you there and I'm unfit for your spiritual service. When I enter it, I come before you as a sinner, condemned by conscience and your word. For I am still in the body and in the wilderness, ignorant, weak, In danger and in need of your aid. But encouraged by your all sufficient grace, let me go to your house with a lively hope of meeting you, knowing that there you will come to me and give me peace. My soul is drawn out to you in longing desires for your presence in the sanctuary at the table where all are entertained on a feast of good things. Let me, before the broken elements, emblems of your dying love, cry to you with broken heart for grace and forgiveness. I long for that blissful communion of your people in your eternal house in the perfect kingdom. These are they that follow the Lamb. May I I be in their company. Amen. I will tell you more about that a little later, but first... I'm going to give you fair warning, I'm about to say a word that is going to cause some of you to react. Tim has already said it a bunch, and very rudely gave you no warning. He just spoke it. I'm giving you warning, so prepare yourself, tradition. There are two responses that we tend to have when we hear the word tradition. There are those of you in this room who go, Tradition! And it is the greatest thing that I could say today. You're like, you are speaking my heart's love language. And then there's a lot of you, I can tell by the looks on your face, who are going, How dare you cuss from our pulpit? How dare you utter such profanities? I grew up... In a more traditional church. Uh, I actually was the one who asked to sing the doxology. I'm like, can we do this? I don't remember at what point we stopped singing the doxology in my home church, uh, but it was a part of my childhood. Uh, It was something that I remembered. There's actually a church I was at last week speaking that still to this day, after the offertory, they all rise. They don't have to put anything in the bulletin. They just know You stand and you sing the doxology, because we need to be reminded that we still want to praise God even after we've given up our money. Uh, So, when we think about tradition, there's some obstacles that come to people's minds. Uh, There are things that we struggle with, and there's a picture that's going to show up This one. That I think is probably the perfect illustration of how a lot of people feel about tradition. So what you see before you is not a scene from Star Wars. This actually happened about a month ago. Actually almost a month ago to the day. I have a long standing tradition now, it's been I think close to 10 years. Uh, of taking a group of guys after their senior year and we go to Colorado and we spend a week hiking and backpacking uh, and whitewater rafting and just being out in the wild. It's, a, it's an incredible trip, it's an incredible journey and one of the things that we do on this trip is we go to climb one of Colorado's 14ers. A 14er is any mountain that is 14,000 feet or above until you hit 15,000 feet, at which point it becomes a 15-er. But it is a 14,000-foot mountain, and this one happens to be Mount Evans, which is 14,260 feet. And that mountain has been the the bane of my mountain-climbing existence. I have failed to reach, legitimately reach the summit climbing. This is also the highest paved road in America, so you can just drive to the top, but what fun is that? <laughs> Four times I've tried to climb this mountain. The very first time I made it to about 13,000 feet, and I was so sick that I found a big rock on the way back down and just laid down. And waited to die. Uh, I woke up to see a marmot circling me, and every loop he was a little closer than the one before. He was trying to decide if he was going to eat me or not. It was a big meal. Second time, I had a bunch of guys with me who had no idea what they were doing. They're in shorts, and it's like 32 degrees uh, where we were going to start climbing. Uh, and then the last time, the road was shut down so we couldn't even get to the trailhead. This time, though, was different. This time I made it. Uh, after we passed the snowfield that you see in front of you, I started cursing the mountain, going, ha ha, I win. Uh, but in this moment, this was the second snowfield that we hit. You'll get to see the first one in a little bit. And I say this is a perfect illustration of how people think of tradition because when we got to this snowfield, there were no tracks. There was no path through it. We were standing there above it, looking down. It's actually sloped down. You can tell that a little bit in the picture, but it's sloped downward. And on the other side of it, you can see the trail. We could see where we needed to be. We could see where we needed to get to. But from where we were to that point, there was nothing. There was no track through the snow. There was no way around. I'm pretty good. I've done this enough that I'm pretty good at tracking in the mountains. I'm pretty good at finding where I need to go. If we lose the trail, I'm pretty good at finding my way back. I've gotten lost enough. I, found, I figured out how to find my way back, to find my way through. And I could not find a path. And I think that's our big fear when we think about tradition, when we wrestle with tradition, is that we're just going to become stagnant. If we just latch on to the traditions, we're just going to stay put. We stood at the top of that field for probably 10 minutes while I tried to find a way forward. And then to to the non-traditionalist heart in this room, I said, well, we don't have any choice. We're just going to have to slide. And so we squatted down and we got on our butts and we just made a trail. Uh, And it was a lot of fun. First time I'd ever done that on a mountain. It was a whole new experience, just to squat down and slide through the snow. End of June, a couple of feet of snow, and we're just sledding down the side of this mountain it was fantastic. That is how we so often think of tradition, is that it's going to leave us trapped and that there's no fun in it. There's no sliding down the mountain in that moment. We fear tradition will keep us trapped and not moving. Maybe some of you have been abused by tradition. You came out of traditional churches and you can tell horror stories of what it was like, the abuses you endured, the times you were told that you're a horrible sinner because you don't abide by the traditions. We have these obstacles that we wrestle with, but I want to tell you, as somebody who's a bit of a traditionalist, that there is great joy to be found in tradition there's great joy and connection with many who have gone before us in tradition it's not something to fear it's not something to hate it's something that sometimes in our lives we need to embrace it because it reminds us that we're not alone and it reminds us of the timelessness of Jesus When I do weddings, uh, I, I obviously get a phone call first. I don't just show up and go, here, I'm going to do your wedding for you. Couples will call me and say, hey, will you, will you do our wedding? I'm like, sure, I'd love to do your wedding even though I hate weddings. I would love to show up because I love you. I will show up and I will do your wedding. And then they start the process of like, what are we going to do at our wedding? and I had one couple go, so we're we're struggling with the decision, we're thinking about writing our own vows, and I said, stop there, if you write your own vows, I will not do your wedding. They were like, seriously? I was like, yeah, I will not do your wedding if you write your own vows. They said, okay, well, that makes that decision. I said, let me explain to you why I feel that way about it. I said, your wedding is not just about you. Your wedding is about every person who's sitting in the room on that day. Your wedding is about the people in your community. There are going to be couples in that room who need to hear again the vows that they gave to each other when they got married 50 years before. So your wedding is a tradition that speaks into the lives of every person who's in the room. And so, no, I won't. And besides, why do you think you can improve on 250 years of fine-tuning? Why do you think you... I Listen, I've, I read your papers in high school. You're not that good. <laughs> okay, so just let's do this the way it was meant to be done. And so this tradition unites humanity... Tradition. We also find our common story. We get to live on in tradition. There was a tradition that started before I was ever born on Thanksgiving Day. The Mullis men and their friends would get up early and they would put on a lot of clothes because it used to be cold in November. And they they would put on a lot of clothes and they would go to the family farm and they would be twenty across, and no rabbit stood a chance on Thanksgiving morning, except everybody in my family is a lousy shot, so so many rabbits have gotten away on Thanksgiving morning. But over the years, I would eventually get to join that hunt. I would get to join the Thanksgiving Day festivities. I remember waking up early on Thanksgiving and watching Dad walk out the door to go join his brothers. And then one day I got to join in, and I got to walk the farm, and I got to listen to the stories that they told year in and year out. And I know they told the same stories year in and year out, because I heard the same stories year in and year out. In fact, my baby brother and I, uh, several years ago, we were walking along, and we went, oh, here comes this story. Sure enough... Oh, do you remember when we went to Paraguay and the guy in the airport and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> and we are like, oh, here comes this story. Get ready for it. Uh, do you remember we used to have 30 people across here and, yep, yep, and then a little further on it's like, oh, here comes this one. Yeah, do you remember the year I shot your dog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have told my wife. <laughs> A few years ago, one of the men who joined us on that hunt my entire life passed away. And he didn't get to join us for the next hunt in person because he was with his God. But he was still alive in the midst of the tradition because we we would say, you remember when Dad and Danny would tell the story here? And then we told the story. You remember when Dad and Danny would tell this story here? Yeah, and we told the story. when well, we made our own new stories. And so tradition keeps us alive. And tradition gives us a commonality through all of time. There are a couple of guys in this room who have been with me on fall break. Fall break may be my most tradition-riddled trip that I do. And one of the grand traditions of fall break is the hot sauce. Every year I buy a new hot sauce, and every year on chili night, everybody takes the hot sauce. And when I say I buy a new hot sauce, I am not one of those sissies that cries at Tabasco I buy the hottest thing I can find at the Pepper Palace in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I have never bought anything that was lower than one million Scoville units. And they all get a toothpick, and they all take a drop, and they all eat it, and then they run screaming through the cabin. It's a beautiful tradition. It's my way to pay them back for all the suffering they brought into my life. It's like, ha ha, your turn to suffer. And I watch, and over the years, I have had kids vomit. I've had kids like fill up a bathtub and just stick their head in it for minutes. I don't think I've had anybody aim for the toilet yet, but someday I'm hoping. To this day, if they will meet, if a kid who went on fall break here meets a kid who went on fall break here, they're like, did you have the hot sauce? Yeah, I had the hot sauce. Did you have the hot sauce? Yeah, I had the hot sauce. And then they begin to trade stories about their agony and the people who suffered the worst and the people who were kind of okay with it. One of my, one of my students, like, he, it didn't matter. I couldn't buy anything hot enough to affect him. He's just like, well, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. And he still loves to rub that into any kid who's like, oh yeah, I stuck my head in the freezer. He's like, yeah, didn't bother me at all. I was good. And so it builds this community through time of the traditions that were built. God gives this tradition to remind us where we came from. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen 16 through 21 says this. Is it up there? Yes, it is. Good job. That was more a good job for me. I didn't mess it up. Anyway, let's move on. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield to no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Take talking about about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be, may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So when the, Moses writes this into the book of Deuteronomy, he is recollecting the journey of Israel. When he says these words to Israel, they have left Egypt. They have traveled down the road. They have sent spies into the land and come back and said, God's not big enough to deal with that. And God said, If I'm not big enough, then no one is big enough. Start walking. And they were in the midst of their journey through the Sinai Desert for 40 years while a generation died out. And Moses is saying, do not forget where you came from. Do not forget the goodness of God in your lives. Do not forget what God has given you. Because just before he said this, He had gone up the mountain and God had given him the law and he came down and those stupid people had built a golden calf and he crushes the tablets and God calls him back up and says bring more stone and he writes the law again. And Moses comes down the mountain and he says, Israel, keep it together. Talk about these things together. Learn them together. Live in the midst of the tradition that I am handing you. Pass it on generation to generation so that you don't forget the goodness of your God. So you don't forget who I have made you to be. So you don't forget the holiness of the God you serve. Remember, I didn't pick you because you were particularly good. I picked you as a nation because you were tiny. I wanted to show the world how great I was through you. Don't forget that. Speak that to one another. Speak that truth and reality through the generations. Tradition is born in remembrance. It's born out of remembering who we were and where we came from. And the thing to keep in mind in all of this is that this, we often forget, was part of Jesus' life. This is part of what made helped Jesus grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. It's the tradition that he was part of, that was passed on to him. Mary and Joseph did these things. They spoke this truth and this reality back to God in ways that they didn't even realize at the time. Tradition was part of the life of Jesus. You may have never thought about it, but do you realize that the tradition of the cross was part of Jesus' life long before he ever hung on one? Again, his family was a traditional Jewish family, and so they would go to Jerusalem for various festivals and feasts. They would travel the highways and the byways of Israel, and every time... They went to Jerusalem from the time he was a boy to the time he was a grown man. He passed under the shadow of crosses. It was not a new creation just for Jesus, the cross. He would have spent his entire life looking up at dying men, knowing that someday he would join them, that someday that would be part Of his story. And so the tradition of the cross didn't start at Jesus. It was an echo in his life that gave power and strength to what he did. The Apostle Paul writes in 2nd Thessalonians 2:14 through 15: to this He called you through our Gospels so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. When Paul writes these words, there was some confusion that had been made in the ways there was some confusion that had made its way into the church at Thessalonica. And so Paul was giving instruction, don't buy in to all this other stuff. We gave you a path. We gave you a journey. We gave you a tradition. Stick with the path. It'll get you through. Stick with the path. Paul seems to have three types of traditions he speaks about throughout all of his epistles. And this one has to do with gospel traditions. So in Paul's mind, this tradition was not just, well, we've always had 60 watt bulbs. This was a tradition about their salvation and moving forward. I've got another picture from the same trip. Some of you might know the guy there. Uh, that's John Lane. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, he went with us this year. We took 14 students and four adults. And this is the only picture I had of this snowfield. This was the first snowfield that we crossed. This was the point where I thought Mount Evans was going to beat me a fourth time. We're at the top of that snowfield. What you can't tell from this picture is if I was standing at the bottom of that snowfield, you would not be able to see me. I'm a pretty tall guy, but I would be completely and totally out of sight. And so we had climbed up, this was about a mile in. And we had climbed up, and we come around a corner, and there it is the largest snowfield I have ever seen while standing on the side of a mountain in Colorado the last full week in June. And it went up. It wasn't flat, it wasn't kind of banked, it went up. And I'm standing there at this point, not everybody could handle the altitude. I'd already sent a couple back down uh, to be with the other van. I had a few that were sick and just, so there were only nine of us at this point. And I looked up at this snowfield and I thought, I don't think we should go. I don't think we should proceed. Because I'm standing here with nine guys and only two of us have ever climbed the mountain before and everybody is in tennis shoes. And John walks up. I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? And John gave me that look that only a friend can give you in one of those moments. That look that says, let's go for it because if we die, no one's going to know what stupid thing we did. Uh, and so I turned to the guys who were with me and I said, okay, first of all, we're going to be okay. It's going to be just fine, but I need to give you some instructions on what to do here. I said, as you can see, uh, there is a track up through the middle of this snowfield. We're going to follow that track. If you get out of it and you begin to slide, you just start driving your elbows, roll over on your stomach and start driving your elbows and your feet into the snow as hard as you can and hopefully you will get stopped before you disappear and I will come and get you. Uh, So that's really all there is in this moment. Uh, Just stay in the footprints and we're going to be okay. Okay. We're gonna get through this and so we started to walk i came up on the back john was behind me uh, maybe nate behind him so the three adults were at the back and we had the kids going up in front of us so we could just kind of watch and remind them stay in the steps stay in the footprints of those who have gone before you. And that is the beautiful picture of what tradition really is. It's when things get dangerous or when things get scary or we hit a place where we just don't know what to do, we can step into the footprints of those who have gone before us and we can get through the snowfield. We can get through this place of unease and unsureness in our lives. And this is communally and for ourselves. We can step into the tradition that has gone before us and we can walk in their footsteps when we don't know what else to do. And we can continue to move up the mountain. We can continue to get a better view and a clearer picture of what's ahead. We have moments when we don't know how to proceed, and tradition gives us a path to follow in our spiritual lives. If you don't know how to pray, the Puritans did. They were really good at it. That prayer I started with came from a collection of Puritan prayers called the Valley of Vision. And there have been times in my life when I just didn't know how to pray. The last time I was here, I talked about prayer. I didn't know how to pray. And so I would fall back on the Lord's Prayer where I had this book called The Valley of Vision. And I would open that up and I would pray. I would use someone else's words, but I would make them my own. I would walk in the footsteps of those who had gone before me because they'd done it. They'd been there. They knew what it was to live in the midst of God and they could show me the way. And so I would follow in their footsteps. If you don't know, if you don't know what to do with the Bible, what to read, there are books and books of liturgies that will guide you in where to be in the Scripture. And you can draw closer in the midst of God. You can draw closer to the presence of God in the midst of that. And so I would invite you to join in tradition this week. For those of you that aren't traditionalists, I invite you to join in for just a little bit. Read a psalm every day. Test the waters. We've been reading the psalms as churches For ages. Jesus read the Psalms. You may not be a traditionalist, but we all have moments when we don't know where to go and tradition can give us a path to move forward. The traditionalist gives us a tie to the community that has gone before and helps us to encounter the timelessness of Jesus. Don't be afraid of tradition. Let it speak to your heart in a very real way. Because it can. It does. It speaks to my heart all the time. Let's sing.